0: Jesus, And we're going to see that this morning in our text. Jesus pursues and rescues the people you would least expect Jesus to save. And what we're going to do is we're going to open our Bibles to John chapter 4. It will be up there on the screen, but I always encourage you to have it in front of you. And, and as you're turning there, I just think, are there people you would be delighted and surprised to see in heaven. Like, I can't believe it. Like, are there people you'd be delighted and surprised? Like, not, like you wouldn't be giving them an attitude like, oh, they just let anybody in here now. Not like that. But a surprise like, I was praying for you. Oh, I was hoping you'd be here. Like, are there people that come to mind when you think about Jesus pursuing and rescuing those who you'd least expect Him to do it to? So we're going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 all the way down. We'll we'll, we'll probably stick to, to verse 26. This is the Word of God. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sikar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her. And then come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You know what, I'm just going to keep reading down the thirty. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. This is the Word of God. And what we're going to do before we, we dig into it, we've got to pray. I really appreciated that song where it talked about God's Word being like honey and like a sweet symphony to our ear. And the only way that God's Word can be like honey to us or like a sweet symphony is if the Holy Spirit works in our heart. So as I pray now for you, like you pray for you and for the people sitting next to you, we, we need this. Let us pray. God, your word is like honey, sweet, good. Oh, the good things, God, that your word talks about is like a symphony. God, I pray that we won't walk out these doors with just a bigger head of knowledge but that our hearts will delight in you. Lord, I pray as we read your word, as we sing praises to you, as we see beautiful baptisms, our hearts will delight in you. There is no one greater to delight in. Thank you, you love us so much that you let us delight in you, do what we were made to do. Jesus, help us now with whatever might be making us anxious, worried, distracted. Holy Spirit, you are so good, and I know you can hear our prayers, and and you can work. Jesus, I thank you. In your name, your glorious name, amen. So, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at Jesus pursuing and rescuing, and then we're going to look at the woman at the well, and how she would have been the person you least expect Jesus to pursue and rescue. So we're just going to look at the passage and dig into it in these two ways. So, we're going to kind of start at verse 6. Before we jump into it, there's a couple of parts where there's some back and forth between Jesus and the woman, and we're just going to fast forward through some of that when we get there. Um, To kind of walk through it quickly. But in verse 6. Verse 6. Like there's some parts in scripture that are like a stop sign. Where they kind of stop you. Force you to slow down. Stop and savor what you see. Do you see? It's just like a small, almost like throwaway line. But in verse 6, do you see what's kind of remarkable there? It says... Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. What does this show us about Jesus? He's not just fully God. He is fully man. And it's really easy to skip by why that's so remarkable. But think about it. This Jesus is the creator. The one who created all things seen and unseen. The one when God just and boom, it was there. Jesus, the perfect son of God, like equal with God, yet distinct. The creator is here and he's worn out from a journey. Philippians 2 talks about this in in such a beautiful way. But listen to this, verse 6. Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus, equal with God the Father, there in heaven, the Creator Did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but added humanity to his deity, came here. Suffered temptation, exhaustion, persecution, and ultimately death. The Creator did this for you. Think about your own selfishness. I so easily feel selfish. And someone could ask me something like, can you... All right, Allison could ask me could you get me like a mug from the cabinet all right and I'm on the couch I'm like alright so I gotta walk from there all the way to the kitchen all right that selfishness but Jesus did not consider equality with his father God as something to be held on to but he temporarily put it aside added humanity to his deity he came here to suffer and die and I didn't think about this until this year but it's not like Jesus can reverse that like he is Fully God, fully man, exalted forever, but he's got his human form forever. He can't reverse that. The wounds in his hands and his feet and his side, he can't reverse that. That's there forever. It's like as we look at verse 6, it is remarkable to think about Jesus exhausted, pointing to how he came here as a man to save you. In verse 7 we see he goes to the woman and he asks her for a drink. But don't think for a second he's merely just thirsty thirsty and only asking for a drink. He's initiating this process of pursuing her and rescuing her. And we'll talk in a couple of minutes about why this was counter-cultural and kind of controversial. But she says, Why are you asking me for a drink of water? Oh, I love verse 10. And this is where we see this isn't just Jesus merely asking for a drink of water. Like I, I think of Jesus like eyes full of compassion saying, if you knew the gift of God and He was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask Him and He would give you living water. Like I just picture Jesus full of compassion, saying, Oh, if you only knew who I was and what I'm offering you, he would ask for it. We'll see in the next couple of verses that this living water is not just any water. It is eternal life. It is salvation. And he's saying to her, if you only knew... This gift of salvation and how I was giving it to you. You would ask for it. There's some of you here, I'm sure, that you don't know Jesus. Oh, if you only knew the gift of salvation and Jesus who was offering it to you. Christian, Christian, it's really easy to take it for granted why this gift is so amazing. Like, it's easy to forget, right? Who's offering you this salvation, how much of a gift it is? Can people see that you love the gift and the one who gives it to you? Like, people should be able to, to like, see and taste that God is good as they look at your heart and how you live your life. That you love the gift and you love the one who gave it to you. That people should be able to see it on you. In verse 11 to 12, we see she doesn't get it. And why would she? It's the Holy Spirit that has to open the heart and open the mind to see, well, I'm needy. And the only one that can save me is this man, this man, this God who came to save me. She doesn't see it. In verse 14, we see, in 13 and 14, we see Jesus unpacking. Like, he doesn't let her get him off on a tangent. Like, he's always going back to her need and this gift of salvation. Verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks from this water, the water in the well, will get thirsty again. For whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. So this water Jesus is talking about is not just any water. It's not a water you can just get anywhere. It is the gift of salvation, eternal life. And we see here he says the person that gets this gift this living water will never be thirsty again. And that's because the salvation that Jesus provides is permanent. That's good news. It's permanent. That Jesus meets your deepest need to know God and be saved from your sins. Like realize it or not that is your greatest need. Like maybe you do realize that. And you don't know what to do with that realization. Or you know that is your greatest need, but you don't want to give up the freedoms you have because you know to come to Christ is to turn from sins and to give up certain freedoms for a greater freedom. You feel that need, but you don't, you don't want to do anything with that. Or maybe even worse, you don't see the need that you have from birth. You are a rebel running from the one true God, loving and worshiping everything else except the only one who gave you life and is giving you life and breath right now. That's the scariest thing of all, seeing, not seeing the need that you have. But here we see Jesus meets that greatest need. And God himself met that need. Like 1 Peter 3.18 says this, Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. This greatest need won't ever need to be met again. Jesus fulfills it on the cross as he dies the death you deserve and rises again. Jesus doesn't have to keep dying to save you. Like this salvation is like a round trip ticket. It's good to get you home. And that is such good need. Like, look at just that one line. Whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never get thirsty again. That greatest need has been met and it will never need to be met again if you have come to Jesus for salvation. That is such good news. Because there are many people out there that don't get it. They think you have to keep going back to God. To keep being resaved over and over again where they think... I've lost it. My soul is needy once again. Jesus meets the need once and for all. And you see, Jesus doesn't give any substitutions here. He doesn't say, whoever drinks from the water over there or over here, your need is met. There is only one way your deepest need for a Savior can be met, and that's through Jesus. Anything else you look to try to meet that need is going to fall short. It's kind of like if you've ever maybe played basketball, right? And after you are just thirsty. Or actually with the heat we've had this summer, maybe you just had to step outside for 30 seconds and you were like, I'm tapping out. I need a a, a cup of water. But like in that moment, there's only one thing that can meet that need. A nice cool glass of water. And anything else isn't going to do. And going to anything else to meet your soul's deepest need going to anything else except Jesus will be like someone giving you a stick of gum when you're thirsty for water. It might help temporarily for a moment, but it's going to leave you wanting. That is what it is like to go to anyone else to meet that deepest need that I hope and I've been praying that you feel here today. In verse 15, we see again, she doesn't get it. She thinks he's talking about a physical water. She says... Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Like She doesn't get it. But again, you really can't blame her. It's only the Holy Spirit that can work and penetrate the heart to show you, I'm done for unless Jesus saves me. In verse 16, we see him do something that makes us maybe go back and go, Whoa! Jesus, what are you doing here? And he says, go call your husband and come back here. And then he says, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Like you read that and that's kind of, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing here? Take it easy. But if you notice, he's not making judgments about her character, Right? he's not throwing her under the bus he's not being cruel he's not criticizing her but what is he doing he's showing her her need for a savior he's saying hey you are messy but I love you I'm offering you this gift of salvation to understand the good news you first have to understand the bad news first which is why we can't only talk about the nice lovely things here You got to know the bad news first. And Jesus is so compassionate here, right? Like, I'm sure we all know some people that would probably be jerks in this instance, right? Like, yeah, you're right, you don't have any husbands. I've heard. I know what's up. No. Jesus is compassionate, full of love. This is so wonderful. He's just getting to her need. And if you notice in verse 17, she doesn't lie, but she doesn't technically tell the truth either. She says, I don't have a husband. Boom. That's it. I think she's deflecting here. And I think that's something we all do too, right? When maybe you start being convicted and you start seeing your need, it's easy to try to start deflecting, you don't want to deal with it, you don't want to face it so maybe you justify, you explain away, you ignore it I think that's what she's trying to do here, right? like let's just deflect and let's move on but Jesus is graciously not letting her do that even you Christian can be tempted to do this, right? like you can't believe you messed up so bad so you try to deflect right? Explain it away, justify it, it's not a big deal. But you gotta be honest to receive mercy. You don't receive mercy and grace from the cross by deflecting and holding on to it, hoping that Jesus doesn't notice because he does. But last week we looked at at the the parable of the lost son and how the father who represents Jesus didn't have his arms crossed when his son came back and he wasn't like... I told you so. I was right. Like, he didn't make bets with the other servants. Like, I knew he'd come back. Give me the five bucks. No, he was there ready to forgive. Like, you don't receive mercy and grace by deflecting and holding, holding on to it. Hopefully, you know, it works out in the end. No, you receive mercy and grace when you're honest. Like, Jesus, I am messy. I have a need that absolutely terrifies me and I don't know what to do about it. You got to save me. This is the person that receives mercy and grace. So we see Jesus just pressing in lovingly and gently, not not he's not being cruel, he's not being a jerk. He's doing it graciously because he wants her to see you need this living water. You need me who is giving you this living water. And then, verse 19 to 24, I don't think she's deflecting here, but the the conversation kind of turns into worship in in temples and mountains, and and we're not really going to focus in on that. But Jesus is always pointing to her, her to listen, this is who I am. Verse 25. The woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, am he, the promised Savior. Now, here, in these 26 verses, you see Jesus pursuing her and rescuing her. Now, nowhere in the text do you see that she was explicitly that she was saved, right? You don't really see that. It doesn't say that she turned from her sin and was saved. But I think you can say she was saved. And think for a couple of, of reasons real quick. First, in verse 28, it says that the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people. It seems insignificant, but if you think about it, this is a follower of Jesus who's writing a historical account. So, like, every detail is in there for a reason. He's not just throwing things in there because he feels like talking about her water jar. I think when you think about the water jar, there's two things. Either she was so, like, amazed by Jesus and everything he was saying, like, she just flustered, completely forgot about it, went into town and said, you gotta see this guy. Or, she left it there because she had to go right into town right away and she knew she was gonna come back, see Jesus, and get her water jar. Either way, I think the water jar is significant. significant. But well, I think you can also see in verse 29, she comes and says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? If she was unmoved by her interaction with Jesus, if she thought he was a joke, I don't think she'd be going and saying, could this be the promised Savior our people have been waiting thousands of years for? Like She wouldn't be saying, come, come see this man. He might be the one if she was unmoved and untouched by her interaction with Jesus. And if you look in verse 39, it won't be up there on the screen, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Like, some believed in Jesus because of her testimony and what she was saying about Jesus. So I think we can see here, Jesus is pursuing and rescuing this woman at the well. And what we're going to see... Now, looking at the Samaritan woman, she's the person you'd least expect Jesus to do this to, especially if you lived during Jesus' time. First, I think out of all the verses here in this passage, I love verse 29, where she says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I love that. Like she didn't fully get that this was the Messiah who came to die and rise again to save us from our sins. But what she's doing here is basically sharing the good news of Jesus and it's what we do. Except we can say come see the Son of Man who knows everything I've ever done and still died to save me. I love that line. Come see the Son of Man who knows everything I ever did and still died to save me. That's what we get to say, friend, because Jesus became man to save you and me. Now, there's three reasons I think we can say this Samaritan woman would have been the last person you'd expect Jesus to pursue and rescue. And the first, the first two are are cultural reasons, but the first is she was a woman, and culturally and typically Jewish men didn't publicly have a conversation with a woman, especially not about theology and spiritual things. And if you notice in verse 9, she says, how is it that you ask a drink from me? She doesn't just say a Samaritan, she says a Samaritan woman. And when the disciples come back, they're amazed that Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman. Like, if you talk to someone who had been waiting for the Messiah about who they thought Jesus was going to come and save and rescue, I don't think they would have expected her. I don't think they probably would have expected a woman. And they wouldn't have expected it in this way. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't care about what people think. And I am so excited about that. Like, Jesus isn't fickle. Jesus doesn't say one thing and then, oh, that was unpopular. I'm going to wind that back. I'm going to say something different. Jesus didn't care about what people thought. Uh, Second, she was a Samaritan and there were tensions between the Jewish and the Samaritan people. The Jewish people thought the Samaritans were basically spiritually unclean. So I think Jesus' own people would have been offended that the Messiah came and pursued and rescued a Samaritan. I think they would have been offended. This was someone they thought was unworthy. But what I love about Jesus is his whole ministry was reaching out to those who others thought were unworthy. And that's kind of the point of the gospel. You're not worthy of Jesus coming and dying to save you. But that's the whole point of God's grace. He comes for the unworthy and makes them worthy in Him. So we see she's a woman. But Jesus didn't care about what people thought. She was a Samaritan, but Jesus didn't care about what people thought. And we see, she was messy. Right? She came at noon, which would have been usually after all the other women would have come to the well. I think that's significant, because normally all the women would have come together. It was a time to hang out, help each other. But she came after. And I think it's fair to say because... She probably was the town outcast. We see that she was with six men. So she was probably the person everyone was talking about behind her back. Criticizing her, judging her. I think that's why she was there way after everyone else would have been there. Her own village probably would have been the last to expect the Messiah going to her But Jesus doesn't care about what people think. And he pursued and rescued her. And then he used her to basically convert the village. He has come for the sick and the needy. This is such good news. And by the way, this is kind of convicting... But, like, are there people you would be upset if they came to know Jesus? Or turn their life around? Like, they don't deserve God's forgiveness. After everything they've done? Because that's how a lot of people would have been in Jesus' time. Remarkable when you think about Jesus reaching after this Samaritan woman. Like He knows the deepest, most messiest parts of your soul. Friend, he knows the things you've never told anyone. He knows the things no one else knows. Yet Jesus lovingly laid down his life to purchase your eternal life it's easy to say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. No, but Jesus does. And he has come for the sick and the needy and the unworthy. Who else would do this? No one. No one else could do this. As yes, we've been thinking about Jesus rescuing and pursuing the people you'd least expect, Has someone come to your mind? Someone you've been praying for? Someone that your heart aches when you think about man I don't think they're saved and it feels like they're never going to be saved. Like, does someone come to your mind? Maybe they've heard the gospel a million times. Maybe you've prayed a million times, but they still haven't turned away from their sin and towards God. There might be people here, you've been praying for years and decades, and it just seems like I don't know if there's any way. This passage is comforting because we see that God really does rescue the people you least expect. We also see it in life that Jesus pursues and saves the people you least expect. You know how I know that? Because you're here. And that's not meant to be an offense because I say it about me too. I'm here. Your soul is Born sinful. We've all probably done things we are ashamed to, to even say it out loud. But Jesus has died to save you. And He can save the hardest of sinners. If you're here and there's people that come to mind, you're praying for it and you've been sharing the gospel before and your heart aches because you Don't know if you're going to ever see them in heaven. Don't give up hope. Don't give up praying or reaching out. I know many of you, there's people in your life, your heart aches because they don't know Jesus. And many of you, I'm praying with you. In fact, there's some people here that I don't know where you are with Jesus and I'm praying for you too. But don't give up up hope is he can save the hardest of sinners think about the Christians who Paul killed you don't think they weren't praying for Paul at some point and how impossible probably felt that this man who hated Jesus and was killing Jesus' people you don't think it felt impossible to them that he would ever be saved but imagine the party in heaven when Paul walked in and the people he killed like their minds were probably blowing up. Like, I can't believe you're here. This is the best news ever. Jesus does pursue and rescue the hardest of sinners. And one of the ways he does this is by using you and us as a church as we see, say, come see the Son of Man who knows everything I ever did and still died to save me. And church, I have been praying that the Lord would put in our hearts as we read God's word a desire to be witnesses like this Samaritan woman. Like individually, but also as a church. That's what we're here to do. Say to the people that come through our doors and the people in our lives, come, see the Son of Man who who knows everything I ever did and died to save me. You're not too bad for Jesus. In the moment we're going to see three people be baptized and they're publicly saying that Jesus has rescued them despite knowing everything they've ever done. And you know why they're here? Because God put some people in their life who were witnesses who did just this. We're seeing God do things in our church and he can keep doing things in our church. But church, we've got to have that desire and we've got to be praying to see this happen. In life group, we're going to specifically be taking time to pray about this. Because I think there's a lot of people that probably come to your mind and it feels like they could never turn back to Jesus. And no matter what happens, God is good and He is able. We can, like this Samaritan woman, be a part of something that matters forever. Forever. This is such good news. After I pray and after Pastor Andrew does the the rap, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to play three songs while those getting baptized change into their bathing suits and get ready. I almost forgot my towel. I'm glad I remembered. As we sing, reflect on the words. There's a lot of talk about living water. Let them be a song of thankfulness to our rescuer. And as these three people are baptized, rejoice for them. It's a picture of the living water that God has given you or can give you if you turn to Him. It's not too late to be saved. I come see me or Pastor Andrew after the service. He would love to talk to you about how Jesus has come to pursue and rescue everyone. Everyone. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you. I pray that you will be working in all of our hearts. pray, Lord, that you will please work in the hearts of everyone here, that you will help them to delight in you. Help us to be like the Samaritan woman. Call people to know you. Dear Jesus, I pray for those who don't know you here. Work in their hearts like Jesus did and show them their deepest need and how you are the one offering them living water. I thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.